Hi there, welcome back. There's uh George Santos making a dumb announcement. They will move to expel Jamal Bowman. <laughs> Trump lawyer screwed him good, but he keeps her on anyway. Thanks to big hearted people like you, Arizonans in need won't go. Michael Popak, legal AF, follow this equation. Christina Bob, former lawyer for Donald Trump, is not Jennifer Little, current lawyer for Donald Trump. What am I talking about? You just can't keep track of all Donald Trump's lawyers and who's cooperating with Jack Smith or any of the prosecutors at any given moment. You need a scorecard. And what we learned today is that attorney number two, lawyer number two, in the indictment in Mar-a-Lago involving the obstruction of justice and the Espionage Act, the retention of documents that didn't belong to Donald Trump, national defense information and classified top secret documents that belong to you and me and the National Archive. There was a role for Jennifer Little. There was a comment in the indictment that a attorney identified as attorney number two, which we always suspected was Christina Bob, hold that thought, I'll explain why, had told Donald Trump to his face that he may have held back documents from the National Archive and escape criminal liability, but if he played a shell game and withheld documents now that the search, the subpoena, pardon me, the subpoena had been served on Donald Trump related to the Mar-a-Lago documents issued out of the District of Columbia through Chief Judge at the time, Errol Howell, if he, if he did not properly comply with that judge's orders to turn over whatever he had at that moment, right? Musical chair is over, music stopped, Grab a chair, produce the documents, whatever you got, wherever they are. If you don't do it, Jennifer Little told Donald Trump to his face as an attorney to a client, you're going to commit a crime. It's a crime. And, and she has told Jack Smith's prosecutors, because she's cooperating with them, she's forced and compelled to testify to the grand jury. She already testified to the grand jury in the District of Columbia because uh, Chief Judge at the time, Beryl Howell, forced her to, meaning she stripped Donald Trump of his attorney-client privilege related to Evan Corcoran, his lead lawyer in Mar-a-Lago, Jennifer Little, Christina Bob, and everybody else that was involved related to the document and the shell game that Donald Trump uh, played. This new critical piece of evidence is we're always wondering, it's like a head-scratcher, who is lawyer number two? We thought it was Christina Bob. Sort of made sense. Even though she didn't really do much of the searching and meeting, when it came time for Evan Corcoran to certify to the government that everything that he found, hold that thought for a moment, everything that was made available to him by Donald Trump after Walt Nauda, his butler, and Carlos uh, de Oliveira, the maintenance worker, took dozens of boxes away, not which, of course, Evan Corcoran didn't know about, although he let Donald Trump have almost two weeks to move boxes around before he came back to review them. When he finished his review, Evan Corcoran, it took him less than an hour, he came out with about 36 documents, top secret classified. He sealed them in an envelope <clears throat> to turn them over to the Department of Justice and certify that that was all that Donald Trump still re retained. This is before the search warrant was executed because we knew that was a lie because this, the uh, Department of Justice had information that indicated 
that that was a lie from other witnesses that were cooperating with the special counsel, including former executive assistants and secretaries for Donald Trump, who talked at length about the movement of docs, boxes and documents before Evan Corcoran searched. But when Evan Corcoran had to certify, he didn't even certify. He threw Christina Bob, another lawyer, to the wolves, had her sign her name on it, attesting that everything in that envelope, to the best of her knowledge, represented a total universe of top secret documents. So we thought, okay, it's probably Christina Bob that also gave Donald Trump the advice that he'll, be, he'll commit a crime if he doesn't properly comply with the, uh, with the subpoena. Because Donald Trump asked, what if I don't comply with the subpoena? This is where the crime fraud exception of the attorney-client privilege comes into play. You can tell your, your client anything. You can tell your lawyer anything, sorry, as a client. And it's protected generally by a privilege unless you're trying to commit a crime or fraud. And you're using the lawyer to facilitate that. And then the court and the law can strip you of your attorney-client privilege, leave you bare, and force the lawyer to testify against you. Again, Christina Bob testified, Jennifer Little testified, Evan Corcoran testified, just related to Mar-a-Lago and others. And so we, but we didn't, we knew Jennifer Little had gone in to kind of connect these disparate dots. We knew Jennifer Little had gone into the grand jury uh, a long time ago. And we knew she probably got stripped if she's testifying, then she's testifying with the no protection of attorney-client privilege. We just didn't know she was the one referenced in the indictment in Mar-a-Lago as being the person who purposely went, she, she told Jack Smith's team, I wanted to go to the meeting in person so that he could hear it from me. Now, whatever he did before in playing games, the National Archive wasn't a crime at that moment, but he was about to cross the line into criminal conduct. And bombshell, Donald Trump told her he understood, goes to Mandrea. Now, after that meeting, and after trying to figure out from his two lawyers, Corcoran and Little, whether he could hide the ball, not produce the documents, make them disappear, and was told uncategorically no by both of them, here's the big mistake that was made, or even on purpose. Evan Corcoran turned his back on Donald Trump for a week and a half, left Mar-a-Lago, didn't, didn't force Donald Trump to make those documents available to him right now to review, and in that week and a half time, Donald Trump, as the indictment alleges, the superseding indictment, the second indictment alleges, utilizing people like his executive assistant and uh, the maintenance man and his butler, started taking boxes away and out of the room before Evan Corcoran could return and review them. So by the time Evan Corcoran got back, Boxes that he didn't even know existed were gone because the idiot didn't take an inventory before and after. Like, take a before and after picture, Evan. You know, especially when you're dealing with Donald Trump. Take a picture of all the boxes in the room. Maybe have them numbered 1 through 42. When you come back and there's only 1 through 28, you might have a problem. Especially if you have to certify to the government that the, your independent analysis and research and due diligence is complete. Maybe that's why he had Christina Bob do it. Sure, let the younger lawyer, let the younger women lawyer sign on the dotted line with her oath. But now we know that Jennifer Little, who's, who, and this, this also answers another question. Some of the media reports is, this is a bombshell. This answers the question that Jennifer Little was lawyer number two, and it wasn't Boris Epstein. I got news for people that are just getting late to this game. We never thought it was Boris Epstein. Boris Epstein has a lot to do as the fixer, the Michael Clayton, the former Michael Cohen, 
currently for Donald Trump. He's coordinating the fake electors. He's hiring all of the lawyers that are representing Donald Trump. He's getting all the criminal defense team together. He's showing up in the courtrooms during arraignments and indictments, and he's giving advice to Donald Trump. We didn't think he was the guy that said, because we don't think that he has a conscience or knows what he's doing as a lawyer, hey, boss, you may commit a crime if you don't turn these documents over pursuant to the court-ordered uh, subpoena. That was never Boris Epstein. I don't know why that's reporting right now. We thought it may be, as I outlined, Christina Bob. Made more sense. You know, the person that Evan Corcoran just, um, you know, we have, a, we have a phrase in the law, in life. You know, Evan Corcoran threw a hospital pass to Christina Bob. Look it up. You'll know what I'm talking about. He laid out a pass in the middle of the field and she got clobbered. I'll just look. And they call that a hospital pass. And that's what he did. But we should have, we should have, and I'll, I'll be up front here. We should have suspected that it was Jennifer Little because we knew she testified, obviously, with no attorney-client privilege to protect her. And she's still one of the only lawyers on the defense team for Donald Trump because you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. You keep your lawyers who may testify against you or have testified against you, you keep them on the payroll. And even though Donald Trump fired one round of lawyers in Georgia, right, he kept Jennifer Little. Now we know why. Right. Because he just wants to keep him close, keep her tethered to his world. And to, uh, she's already harmed him, though. That's the problem with Donald Trump. You know, he's he's cleaning up after spilt milk. Cows already left the barn. You know, in, insert your own metaphor here. She's already cooperated and given Jack Smith what he needs about her interactions with her client and her client, Donald Trump's reactions back to him to piece together what happened at Mar-a-Lago. We like to talk about Aileen Cannon, the lawyer, the judge, sorry, almost called her the defense lawyer for Donald Trump, the judge in the Mar-a-Lago case, because she's uh, immature professionally, she's inexperienced, looks like she's siding and putting her big fat thumb on the scales of justice for Donald Trump. At the end of the day, there's going to be a trial. I don't know if that trial is going to be in, in, uh, in May of 2024 or some other time, but eventually there's going to be a trial. And people like Jennifer Little, former or current lawyer for Donald Trump, are going to be put on the stand to testify about Mar-a-Lago. Right? You sealed Tavares, the IT director, who turns uh, Fed, you know, Fed evidence, who's cooperating with the Feds, is going to testify that Donald Trump gave them the command to try to delete the security video footage showing the movement of the boxes. Uh, nothing shows criminal mind more. They're trying to cover up for a crime. And that's what Yasiel Tavares is going to testify to. I don't know if Walt Nauta, the butler valet guy, is going to finally flip on Donald Trump. I'm not sure they need it. There is overwhelming amount of evidence about Donald Trump's conduct and his um, lack of a defense to him keeping hundreds and hundreds of documents that fall into the category of national defense information, top secret, and or classified beyond the expiration date, because he was no longer president. We'll continue to follow what is happening and the revelations, leaks, strategic or otherwise, about testimony. One place you know where, Midas Touch Network, on this YouTube channel. And I'll do it on a podcast that we curate, do for about an hour, twice a week, called Legal AF. Yes, it's what you think at the intersection of law and politics and justice.
I do it on Wednesdays with Karen Free of Nickniflo, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And I do it on Saturdays with Ben Micellis. Until my next legal AF, it's Michael Popoff reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Right. Literally one of the largest in-shop fly tying material selections anywhere in the world. Last time we checked, we had... I've been Desperately from the seeks to avoid network. March what trial with latest Hail Mary motion. filings by Donald Trump and the myriad of cases uh, against him or that he's involved in for his criminal conduct, his civil fraud, uh, frivolous cases that he's brought against others. But this one wins the prize of the most frivolous of Donald Trump's motions. And look, it is part of a Hail Mary effort to try and derail this March 4th, 2024, early March trial before Judge Tanya Chutkin being prosecuted by special counsel Jack Smith. When you take a look at this motion, Donald Trump's motion to compel discovery, you can almost feel it drip with desperation. Uh, take a look just at the table of contents, if you will. And mind you, a motion to compel discovery is basically a motion to a court saying that the, in a criminal case, the government has not turned over the documents it is required to produce under its constitutional obligations, under the local rules, under the rules of criminal procedure, and as a result, court, you need to intervene and compel the government to turn over these records. Mind you, in the Washington, D.C. federal case, Special Counsel Jack Smith has turned over, this is not an exaggeration, tens of millions of documents, terabytes on top of terabytes of documents. And we've covered here on the Midas Touch Network where Donald Trump and his lawyers have claimed that they have not uh, received certain documents, and so therefore they needed to subpoena things under Rule 17. And then Jack Smith instantly turns around and says, uh, you may want to check the table of contents of our productions because you have those records. We've turned those over. You just haven't reviewed them, but they're right there. And by the way, Special Counsel Jack Smith wrote this too in his opposition to Donald Trump's attempt to try to issue subpoenas, which Judge Chutkin denied. Jack Smith said, just give me a call. Call the special counsel's office. If you think that we didn't turn over documents, 
ask us and we'll point out where they are if indeed it was pursuant to our constitutional Brady Giglio obligations, um, which are uh, codified in the Constitution and the progeny case law and what the government's uh, requirements are to uh, turn over. Take a look at the uh, table of contents right here. Here are the types of things that Donald Trump is bringing up in this motion to compel. Here are the records that he's asking for. Foreign influence findings relating to the 2016 election. Trump's executive order, 13848. The 2020 election CISA statement. The solar winds sunburst attack. The classified briefing to co-conspirator 4 by the Director of National Intelligence, the minority view of the 2020 election ICA, the Director of National Intelligence's concerns regarding the 2020 election ICA, the 2020 election DOJ DHS report, the January 6th committee report, um, evidence relating to January 6th protests, requests for security at the Capitol, presence of government agents at the Capitol, inconsistent assertions by government actors, um, and so on and so forth. Now, Jack Smith's turned over, again, 12, 13 million records. And what the records have to be relevant of or probative of or, or things relating to the case that go to Donald Trump's mens rea, his mindset, anything that could be construed as exculpatory. And Special Counsel Jack Smith, look, we're turning over more records than we're required to even turn over in a criminal case. And by the way, you have access to a lot of these things already. A lot of these things are uh, public. But we've talked about it before with the subpoenas. I'll talk about it again, where Donald Trump's trying to engage in something called, in my opinion, something called gray mailing, a form of blackmail, whereby you say, I want to gain access to all of this classified information. I want to know threat assessments regarding Russian election interference. Um, you see that over there. Iranian election interference. Those are those assessments that I read. China's uh, potential election interference. Saudi election interference. We want to know, produce for this case regarding Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the results of the 2020 election, all of this data about how the government protects and secures the elections that's supposed to be related to Donald Trump's state of mind. Donald Trump mentions the solar wind sunburst attack and Russian hacking into elections, as which Donald Trump said, Russia, if you are listening, Russia, if you are listening, go into the go into the email. I mean, by, by the way, I, I think this will probably backfire for Donald Trump in general. I mean, even if these documents were to be produced, which the government's under no obligation to turn these records over, it would show that Donald Trump encouraged Russia to do it back in 2016. Is Trump trying to get himself incriminated for uh, other conduct here? But one of the things I guess that Donald Trump's trying to blame is actually it's the fault of foreign governments for their efforts to try to interfere with the election. Not what Donald Trump did and not what Donald Trump's got. This. I, you can't even follow the logic because it's illogical, but you know, there Donald Trump's like, it's what it's Putin's fault. 
It's Iran's fault. It's the government of Saudi Arabia's fault. It's China's fault. Not Donald Trump's fault for what Donald Trump did or what Mark Meadows is going to testify Donald Trump did, what Mike Pence is going to testify that Donald Trump did, what Cassidy Hutchinson is going to testify that Donald Trump did, that other Republicans are going to testify that Donald Trump did. The concept of gray mailing, though, is like Donald Trump saying, I want these records, and if I, I get my hands on these records, I'm going to show them in a public trial, and I'm going to try to jeopardize the national security interest of the United States, unless you dismiss the cases against me. Look, you have nothing to worry, because Judge Chutkin is not going to allow any of these documents to be turned over. I mean, is it potential that she'll find a few documents or recommend? Maybe, but she's not going to let any of this, these national threat assessments and uh, national uh, intelligence agencies, there's nothing to do with this case. That's not getting produced. But imagine if this request was made to Judge Eileen Cannon. Oh, Judge Eileen Cannon would be reversed by the 11th Circuit if she ever made a ruling and didn't issue these paperless orders ad nauseum forever. But could you imagine if this request went before Judge Eileen Cannon? We should be grateful that this is before Judge Ta Judge Tanya Chuckin or any other law and order judge across um, the country. Someone else commented, and this was actually an interesting comment too. Someone said, well, Ben, I hear you on the gray mailing aspect of it, but maybe Donald Trump also wants to gain access to these records so he knows what the vulnerabilities are for 2024 to try to exploit the vulnerabilities by just getting his hands on national intelligence threat assessments to help him plan 2024. I thought that was an, an interesting thought. But whether it's for gray mail, whether it's for that, whatever we want to hypothesize, these requests are utterly deranged, have no place in the Washington, D.C., uh, forthcoming trial against Donald Trump for his attempt to overthrow the results of the 2020 election. Judge Chutkin is not going to allow it. If you just even take a quick look at just the introduction of how they say here, they go, this indictment reflects little more than partisan advocacy designed to sabotage Trump's leading campaign. Consistent with that improper and unlawful goal, the special counsel's office has chosen to rely on the views of witnesses who aligned with the Biden administration's political viewpoints. Who? Pence? Mark Meadows? Bill Barr? Cassidy Hutchinson? Governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp? The, Rep the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger? Your own lawyers? Who pled guilty? That's the Biden administration. Bill Barr... All of the people who worked for you are now, what, deep state agents? That's what's going on. The people you appointed, Christopher Ray, leads the FBI. Everyone's a deep state agent. Guys, this reason, I, I, I can't even reflect. Someone who's seen a lot of these filings. Back when I was day-to-day -day practicing law, you know, we would get some of these emails. And, you know... They would say, you know, microchips being implanted in my head in the CIA. Da, 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 da. Like, like, that's this motion was those types of emails that I would get like 10 years ago. Um, but anyway, this is all going to be rejected. There's going to be justice in this March 2024 trial. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think Judge Chutkin would remand Donald Trump uh, into custody. I don't think she'll have house arrest or things like that. I think she'll remand him into custody. Put him in prison.
I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Have a good one. Hey, Midas, Midas. Yeah. Don't talk Attention low income Americans without Medicare or Medicaid. You may be eligible for free health insurance. Hey everybody, it's Troy. Hey listen, remember when Touching Joe Biden was elected in his face. And everybody on the right and everybody at Fox News said that Biden was going to destroy the oil and gas industry in the United States. Tim Stewart is the president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, and he joins us now. Tim, look, I think fundamentally on some level, our viewers care about oil and gas policy, especially the ones that are in the industry. But let's be realistic. The average viewer watching right now wants to know how much a decision like this is going to blow up their budget. So how much higher could gas prices rise because of this decision? Well, that's a great question. I think it's a good time to remind everybody that since the Biden administration came in, there have been 175 different regulatory actions designed to end fossil energy production and use. They're going to feel the pain from top to bottom. Somehow the Obama administration managed to pull off almost 30 at least sales, and the Trump administration was shooting for almost 50, but the Biden administration is holding just three. They're essentially ending the offshore leasing program produ production by 2030. And this is why it's so important, you guys. Nearly 10% of all of U.S. oil and gas production comes from federal lands and waters. And if you end that federal production, that creates a shortfall of a million barrels a day in the system. A shortfall of a million barrels a day creates long-term energy scarcity, and prices are going to rise at the pump. One of the first things that Joe Biden did was issue an executive order to pull the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. The Keystone XL was an extension of the Keystone pipeline, which hadn't been built yet. Well, everybody on the right, all of MAGA, everybody thought that the canceling of the Keystone XL was going to be the death of the American domestic oil production, the American oil and gas industry. That one extension pipeline, even though we have thousands of miles of other pipeline, uh, the fact that Biden canceled that one extension has been their complete obsession uh, about Biden uh, regarding Biden's energy policy. And even Donald Trump. In that famously awful debate between Trump and Biden, even Trump said that Biden, if he were president, would kill the oil and gas industry. Check this out. Do you remember this? One final would question. Would he close it down falls, the oil industry? Or would you close it down the oil industry? I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would that's transition. A big that is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh, I see. Here's the deal. But that's you can't a big statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry. I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the, to the gas, excuse me, to, the, to uh, solar and wind. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question. is he is Mr. going President. to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that Texas? Will you okay. remember that Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Well, something interesting just happened last week. It was reported that Biden just broke Donald Trump's domestic crude oil production record set in 2020. In February and March of 2020, right before COVID, the United States was producing 13.1 million barrels of crude oil per day domestically. That was a record. That was under Donald Trump. 
in October, November 2023, right now, the United States is producing 13.2 million barrels of crude oil per day, breaking Donald Trump's record back above pre-COVID levels when Biden took office. It was 11 million barrels a day of crude produced in the United States. Now it's 13.2. That's an all-time record. Though, no, Joe Biden did not kill uh, oil production in the United States. Joe Biden did not stop drilling for oil. Now we are producing more oil domestically under Biden than we were under Trump. Gas prices are also down. The national average over Thanksgiving week was $3.29 a gallon. That's a 10% drop from this time last year and 13% if you factor in inflation. So gas prices down 13% year over year from 2022 to 2023. Gas prices falling under President Biden, still not as low as they were during the height of the pandemic when nobody was driving and demand was nowhere and gas prices cratered. Still not that low. Gas prices are falling, are dropping under President Biden. So crude oil production at record highs, gas prices falling, the energy market has stabilized. At the same time, President Biden is still committed to investing in green energy technologies and renewable energy uh, for the future. What was the other thing that Trump said would happen under Joe Biden's presidency? He said the stock market would crash. Remember this? Get the records. He tried to hurt Social Security years ago. All right, they, let's move but on. This I'm going to move on. Let me, they Mr. President, I have to move on to the next question. They said or the else stock market we're not going to have time to talk about if it. If I'm elected. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Well, that too turned out to be wrong. The S&P 500 stock market index just had one of its best months in a century. The stock by the S&P 500 stock gains of 8.7% in November. That's one of the best uh, Novembers in history. That's only 10 times since 1928 has the S&P 500 saw a monthly gain of over 8%. And this is one of them. So this is historic. That amount of growth in that stock market almost never happens. The index itself is up almost 19% for the year. So the S&P 500 doing extremely well. And some analysts are predicting that the S&P 500 will break 5,000 points next year in 2024, which would be an all-time historic record for that market, for the S&P 500. So no, Joe Biden did not cause the stock market to crash. The stock market is doing incredibly well under President Biden, which means that people's 401ks and retirement accounts and long-term investments are also doing very well under President Biden, another sign of a strong economy. And there's been many signs that this economy is very, very strong, despite what you're going to hear from MAGA Republicans and what you're going to hear from legacy media. We had a staggering 4.9% GDP growth in this country in the third quarter of 2023. We're now outpacing China for the first time in 40 years. The United States is growing faster. The United States economy is growing faster than the Chinese economy. That hasn't happened in four decades. Four decades. Unemployment is under 4% for the 22nd straight month. And October saw another 150,000 jobs added to the economy, which marks the 34th straight month of job growth. Not to mention that the Labor Department is reporting that wages year over year are up by 4.4%, while the U.S. inflation is currently at 3.2%, making it the lowest inflation rate of any developed G7 
best economy countries in the world, best inflation in the G7, one of the lowest inflation rates in the entire world, the United States under President Joe Biden. So Trump and MAGA basically have two things to hang their hat on when it comes to talking points against Joe Biden. The first is that he killed domestic oil and gas industry because he apparently stopped drilling. It's their talking point that Joe Biden stopped drilling in the U.S. and made the U.S. energy independent, or made the U.S. dependent on other countries for our energy, for our gasoline. Not true at all. Domestic oil production is higher under Biden than it was under Trump, and gas prices are falling. The other talking point, which Republicans always say against Democrats, even though the economy always does better under Democratic presidents, Republicans are saying that Joe Biden somehow crashed the stock market and destroyed the United States economy. All economic data points to the opposite. All economic data points to a strong recovery in the United States under President Biden since the collapse in the midst of COVID while Donald Trump was president. Not only are his unemployment extremely low, inflation has fallen, uh, we're adding jobs for 34 straight months, but now the stock market is also setting record highs. So just signs of an incredibly strong economy under President Biden. Putting all those Republican talking points about a collapsed economy under Democratic presidents to shame yet again. For Midas Touch, this is Troy. Remember, smash that subscribe button to keep supporting independent media and head on over to MidasTouch.com for all the breaking news stories of the day. Thanks all. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. She Midas don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Head up. Veteran. Shreds. Project 2025 Trump Agenda. This is the biggest sale we had for Black Friday. 
about uh, 80 other groups, uh, a massive effort to essentially dismantle our government. And, and I want to get into really sexy stuff this time. People, I mean, whew, it's going to be great, but I got a plan. Don't worry. And we're going to talk about two aspects of this before we get into it. Just so you know, we're going to talk about first, what is Schedule F, which you'll hear a lot about, and what is they, what are they doing to implement this plan? Uh, this recruiting area. So that's what we're going to talk about. And, you know, I want to get first with what the other, some of the other presidential candidates are saying. Here's Nikki Haley. So, so Nikki, her big jam right now is she comes up with some middle ground. You know, she was doing this on abortion, too. She doesn't want to completely outlaw it. She wants to find a reasonable accommodation. Just six weeks. And this is her jam. So instead of 75 or 50% of the workforce being fired, Nikki's got a different plan. Under my plan, we won't just have term limits for politicians. We will limit bureaucrats, too. No bureaucrat should hold the same position for more than five years. This will make them better public servants when we rotate them and avoid the politics and the power fiefdoms that corrupt our government. And we should be able to fire those who are not performing. There's a lot of that one. It's a lot of great Republican gobbledygook speeches. You know, they hate the bureaucracy and the deep state. So Nikki's plan is you can only stay in your job, a job, for five years. Uh, do you know we have uh, 175,000 scientists in the United States government? Uh, 14,000 positions in the VA alone. Okay? So we're just going to just take a knife to that, you know, those expertise. Imagine what they're going to do to a nuclear, uh, nuclear scientist or how about NASA? Yeah, we don't want any fiefdom with NASA where they're launching rockets into fucking space. That's the stupidity of this whole thing. But where is this coming from? Well, as, hey, look, if you follow Republican politics for years, you know, they've always hated the government. Big government's the enemy of everything. So all they talk about is cutting government, cutting government. But what's different this cycle is they've got a very robust plan, and they're doing it very differently. And we need to be aware of it. We need to tell everyone we know about this, and we're going to go for that. That's Project 2025, as I mentioned. And, and so if you're following again, if you're not familiar with it, Project 2025 is the effort, as I mentioned, by Heritage Foundation. Now, look, they've done this at Heritage uh, for years. Every every new administration, they put out sort of a, a roadmap for the new Republican administration to take over and to follow. But what's different this year is they've actually gotten about $22 million in dark money, recruited a, every other far-right nut job group in the planet to come work with them. I, as I mentioned, 80 groups supposedly have signed on. And they've got a very robust plan, almost 1,000 pages, in very detail. But, but what's next is the next level. The next level is what they're actually doing to implement the plan now is that on day one, it's going to take over. So in the past, it was sort of a think tank plan, like, oh, hey, here's the plan, here's the roadmap. But it's much different this time. And let's talk about the beginning where I mentioned Schedule F. So what is Schedule F? Now, I'm going to read this because it's important. Schedule F was something that was an executive order that Donald Trump tried to implement right as he was leaving office in 2020. And it's the idea of a different schedule. So employees of the federal government fall on different, quote, schedules of where they are in the civil service. Now, the history of our civil service, I won't go with, I won't give you a history lesson because, God, nobody wants that board. But it's important to know that we have what's called a professional civil service system. There are very strict laws and regulations that guide who can be involved, how we get a diverse workforce, and protections so they're not easily fired. Now, now why do we want to keep, why won't we make it hard not to fire government employees? Now, a lot of people see the negative. Look, I saw it myself when I was a military officer. It's not a perfect system. 
But by the same token, you want government professionals who can tell political people, hey, that's a terrible idea. Uh, you're going to break the law and not be afraid they'll be fired for it like you could in a company, an at-will company. With sketch we need to get though, rid of is, half is of the police. Flip that on its back. Now, they made it seem very innocuous. It said it, is a, it, it, it would affect tens of thousands of people. Thanks to big-hearted people like you, Arizonans in need won't need to go clean hungry. up law enforcement. And, and by the way, this is background from the National uh, Federation of Federal Employees. It's a, a union. They said it will affect thousands of employees. They'd be reassigned as Schedule F employees. And these employees will lose their employment and union protections upon reassignment into Schedule F, making them functionally at-will employees. And therefore, far easier to fire. That's really the goal, right? And you saw that in that opening clip, you know, root out the deep state. And, and, and you're talking a lot of people. So... Who's affected by essentially what they said is Schedule F is the, uh, an effort to uh, to influence policy making positions. Now, now what's a policy making position? Well, good luck trying to define that. A policy making position can be anything from somebody who works in the office of management and budget, you know, who says what the what the impact of the budget will be, to someone at the Department of Defense who decides which weapon systems to field. That's policy. There's a million ways. You can define a policy-making position in almost any way possible. You know, someone told me there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in just a matter of months. I wouldn't have believed it. But then I tried Qualia Senolytics. You know, as we age, everyone accumulates senescence. You take, go to neurohacker.com slash Fred for up to $100 off, and then use code FRED Sponsor our show. And here's where it got really interesting back in 2020. Here's a headline from uh, uh, Governor Becca saying, Oh, the architects of this plan, look, all these worries. It's just hyperbole, folks. It, it, it's the enemies of the deep, the, the, the makers, the, the deep state operatives themselves are, are the ones complaining about nice. Project 2025 and Schedule F re Because, you know, Biden threw Schedule F out the minute he took office. Trump never got to implement it. But he did put out the word for agencies to evaluate their departments and turn in to uh, the to the government, I think the, I think GAO or someone, to turn in a list of the positions they thought should be moved to Schedule F. Again, policy make positions. And here's where it got interesting. People are forgetting the Trump appointed head of the Office of Management and Budget, a very key government agency that is full of professionals. Many have been there for decades. Analyzing the budget. He suggested, not gonna believe this number, see this headline. Eighty-eight percent of his employees should be converted to Schedule F to make them essentially at-will employees and therefore have to listen to the political wins of the president. And and, and the article, if you read that article, he flat out says that's the point, that they're being stymied by these bureaucrats who won't let them essentially legal. Okay, that's the point of having this. So that, so that whole thing about being just policy-making position is blown apart when you see who the Republican-appointed, Trump-appointed leaders of the department were designating as Schedule F. Is it just a few thousand? It's tens of thousands. And let me give you some perspective on what kind of numbers we're talking about. There are two million employees that I mentioned, and then the senior service, the senior executive service, which kind of like the general officers of the civil service, well, these are very senior people. There's 8,200 of them 
Okay? And then above them, there's about 4,000 political appointment positions within all the federal departments of government. Seems like a lot when you talk about how big our government is. It's not, but positions that, but if you think about that number, you know, when a new administration comes in, they have to meet, so at the election of November 5th, 6th, they take office January 20th. They have about two months to recruit thousands of people, and it takes years sometimes. 4,000 political appointments have to be made in that two months. Well, not exactly, but the key ones, like cap, that goes from cabinet secretaries to assistant secretaries to deputy, deputy, undersecretary, assistant, deputy, undersecretary, on and on and on. All these political positions, it's a laborious process. It takes, takes a lot of work. But, and it's 4,000, big number. So, what does that tie into what they're telling us? So, here's the next piece of this puzzle. I want you to keep those numbers in mind as we move to the next piece of the puzzle. And here's the headline where, where we're talking about how, actually it was a story about how they are currently screening this huge power grab, it's a power grab, and that's what everybody's calling it, it's a power grab, because why? Here's what they're doing. They've just started screening and recruiting thousands of people they're going to bring into the government. Look at the screenshot of the story itself. They're aiming to recruit 54,000 tried and true Republican Trumpists. They're using AI to scrub all these applicants, social media even, to make sure they're truly true believers in the Republican cause and the Trump cause. So let's get really deep what we just heard. I told you there's 2 million employees. 8,200 of those are senior executive service members who are our most senior people who have been there for decades guiding our government. And then 4,000 political appointees. They want 54,000 essentially political appointees. They're going to convert almost the entire top echelons of the United States government to political appointees of the current party, which they assume will be Republicans. That's what they want to do. Chew on that number. It's a giant number. And look, I'm not going to say government system's perfect. It's not. Everybody knows. But there's some real lies you heard within this video in the clips I showed you. First of all, Pete Heggs is saying, well, they're all unionized, so it's impossible to fire them. Okay, that's not true at all. Only 33% of federal employees are unionized. And that's not, and then people say, well, that's because the military. No, no. We're talking to 2 million federal employees. Only 32% are in unions. They're not allowed to strike, by the way. And the civil service pay is set up by the government, okay? It, it just, there's these myths about the union. Mostly it's for collective bargaining and for protections. But the civil service itself protects them from easy firing. But they are firing. Over 10,000 federal employees are fired every year. It's not impossible to fire employees. You just got to do it right. And as I mentioned, these are huge numbers of experts. The United States Department of Defense has 950,000 employees, civilian employees. People are shocked by that number because then you have another million plus of, act of service members. But why? Because service members are only in for a short time, anywhere from three to four years to 20, or and they change jobs. I change jobs in the Army almost every single year. So the continuity within a military organization is provided for professional civilians. I'm not being a forces command. It's the headquarters that was in Atlanta at the time. It's now in, I think it's the South Carolina, North Carolina. And at Forces Command, while we had military officers like myself doing the training and the planning and the, and the deployments, it was the civilians that saved us because they'd been there a long time. They could say, hey, 
you know, we, we did this back in, you know, 91 when Desert Storm. Let me, let me help you write these plans. Hey, I know exactly what file folder these plans are in. I mean, the civilian, the civil service at the DOD is hugely important, full of dedicated Americans that you know, your friends, 75% of them at DOD are veterans themselves. So when these guys come in and say they want to fire all these people, they're talking about veterans, disabled veterans. They're talking about your friends and neighbors. They're talking about 17 intelligence agencies. 17! Who rely on deep expertise. Why would we fire all the Russia experts? Or the is, uh, uh, Iran experts? That's what you're talking about doing when you talk about huge firing like that. Or only a five-year term. They want to politicize the government in their own image. And it's very, very, very malignant and very malevolent. This is not some, oh, we're going to clean up the bureaucracy and make it more efficient thing. No, there are things that can be done. There are laws that need to be passed. There are things we can do to tweak the system. But the idea of a wholesale appointment of 54,000 or more hardcore MAGA who've actually had their social media scrub to make sure they had never said a negative thing about Donald Trump and then infusing them in the highest echelons of our government is devastating. Okay? It'll change the way our government is run. It'll change the way everything is done here. And we can't have that. And let me finish with this last point. Why do I know this whole thing is insidious and horrible? Well, as I keep saying, whenever you hear from them, believe them, they're telling us. And here he is, Seb Gorka himself, the Hungarian master. Worked as a, formerly, he was a White House advisor before he was kicked out. But here's Seb Gorka's tweet telling it just like it is. Root out the deep state and jail them. That's what they're talking about, folks. Those are your friends and neighbors, the people who make sure you get your social security check on time, the people who evaluate your disability for your veterans' benefits, the people who help homeless people get off the streets, veterans get their surgeries. That's the people they want to throw in jail. Listen to them. Believe them when they tell us what they're doing. I'm Fred Wellman for the Midas Touch Network. I hope you'll tune into my show every Friday night right here on the network. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, mm. at Midas Touch. To keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. have an insidious plan if diaper donald gets back in office see so 